This morning, we are continuing in our Madison Multiply Sermon Series, Prayers for Our City. And our scripture reading is Genesis 18, 16 to 33. Would you join me there? Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done, have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes... Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name's Nate, if I haven't met you yet. Um, like Nicola just shared, we are in the midst of a Madison Multiply sermon series. And if you're new, that probably means very little to you. But what you need to know is um, we exist to see the city of Madison saturated with healthy gospel-centered churches who are making disciples, engaging their communities, and planting more churches. And Mass and Multiply right now is currently made up of three churches, Redeemer City, the Vine Church, and Eastside Church. And so each week in the series, you're going to see a new face up here. Uh, one of the pastors from there, and um, so I'll be traveling as well around to preach at their churches as well. But um, it's really good to be with Redeemer City this morning. Uh, this series is exploring five ways that we want to be praying for our city. And I'll just say this, we don't exist for ourselves. 
Our mission is to renew our city to the gospel. And so we really believe that being in the city, that we ought to be for the city. And so today we're exploring one of the ways we want to pray. And uh, I don't know what you were thinking when the passage was read, uh, but just suffice it to say, it's a strange passage. We'll get into it in a moment. But at a simple root, here's what's wonderful about it. It's one person praying for a city. And it's actually a model. Uh, And we'll get there at the very end. But there's three headings I want us to explore this morning as we think about this model. The first is the apparent problem with this prayer. Secondly, the essence of this prayer. And then lastly, the character of this prayer. And so let me pray and we'll, we'll get in. Father, what we do not know, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us? For the sake of your son, Jesus, amen. All right, well, the apparent problem with this prayer. Um, Some of you, you might be familiar with this story. Others of you, this might be your first time actually encountering this account. And it's kind of strange. At first glance, here's Abraham, sort of a broker, who's trying to negotiate God down to try to not destroy a city based on the number of righteous people. And that sequence brings with it some questions, maybe even some concerns. Some of you might be like this. Why is God going to destroy a city? Uh, You might even ask a question like this. I thought God was a God of love. What do I do with a God who wants to destroy a city, uh, which seems to suggest he's a God of judgment? Uh, Recently, I was listening to Bill Maher. He's, you know, political, social commentator, no less a critique of religion in general. And he was commenting on this particular passage, and he made this comment that God of the Old Testament is so capricious. In other words, moody. He contradicts himself. And he called this passage kind of how God looks just comical. Someone bargaining God down to, so he won't destroy a city. So no matter where you are this morning, how do you deal with that apparent problem? What do we do with those questions? And the answer is actually in the text. In, in verse 20 of chapter 18, listen to what God says to Abraham about this city. He says, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. It's interesting, the word outcry, it's it's a technical word for the cry of pain. And it's actually a technical term for the cry of help for those who are being oppressed or violated. Uh, In Psalm 34, for example, even uses it as a cry against unjust treatment. And we actually get a glimpse of what this looked like in a couple different places. One is right after this prayer, the two men go down to Sodom and they actually get welcomed into Abraham's nephew's Lot's um, house. And the men at night actually go there and they try to basically take them and abuse them sexually. It's a really, really dark scene. But later on, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's looking back at this, and, and this is what he's, how he describes Sodom. 
He says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and they did not aid the poor and the needy. So these two examples, we see this kind of description of this city being one is where there's a, a great gap economically, and there's greed, and there's neglect for the poor, and there's also a flagrant abuse physically, sexually. And God has heard the cry in the city of those who are suffering, who are being oppressed, who are being exploited. And so that's the reason why God's going to destroy the city. And it's interesting, think about this for a moment. God is not actually moody. He's not actually capricious. In other words, he actually sends two men down to check out the allegations to see if this is actually true. But then secondly, I want you to understand something. God is actually not contradicting himself. In other words, God's love and his justice, or a God of love and judgment, is actually not contradictory. Um, this great quote by Becky Pipper, she puts it this way, this way. She writes this, We tend to be taken aback by the thought that God could be angry. How, could, how can a deity who is perfect and loving ever be angry? We take pride in our tolerance of the excesses of others. So what is God's problem? But love detests what destroys the beloved. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. How can a good God forgive bad people without compromising himself? Does he just play fast and loose with the facts? Oh, never mind, boys will be boys. Try telling that to a survivor of the Cambodian killing fields or to someone who lost an entire family in the Holocaust. No, to be truly good, one has to be outraged by evil and implacably hostile to injustice. And do you hear what Pippert's saying? It's actually because of God's love that he's angry. And here we see that God is not apathetic to the plight of those who are suffering in light of injustice and oppression. And far from being contradictory or capricious, it actually shows that God is good. That he's good. So that's the apparent problem. Well, how about the essence of the prayer? You know, in the opening uh, verse of the prayer, it says, Abraham stood before the Lord. And the original language there is the idea, commentators note, is that Abraham is approaching the bench. In other words, it's a scene of a courtroom, and here's God as the judge. And so Abraham's, in a sense, pleading a case. And so he says to God, what about those who are righteous? Those who aren't a part of the evil and wickedness, will you sweep them away as well? And it's all summarized in verse 25 of chapter 18. Listen to what it says. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? That, that language of shall not the judge of the earth do what is just. Justice means this in that passage, to restore a community's right 
order under God's rule by doing two things, by punishing those who destroy it with oppression of the weak, and then secondly, by delivering the oppressed. In other words, Abram is saying this, I know you're just. So on the one hand, yes, I know the city is wicked, but what about the righteous in the city? Aren't, would not your character be changed by that? And so Abraham begins to throw out numbers. How about 50? How about 40? How about 30? All the way down to 10. And notice what he, what he says, um, how God responds in verse 26, in this first response of 50. And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And do you see the essence of the argument here? Here's the essence. Abraham is saying, is there a way for the righteousness of a few to spare the wickedness of the all? That's the essence of it. And God gets all the, or excuse me, Abraham gets all the way down to 10. And the Lord says, even for 10. But here's what's interesting. There's a problem. No one in the city is righteous. No one. In fact, in the next section, the men grab Lot, and he's not righteous, but he escapes with his family. But it leaves us with a question. What if there was someone who was righteous, who could cover and take care of our wickedness? Because that's what, that's what Abraham's leaning into. And friends, that's actually the answer. You see, later on, a promised descendant of Abraham which God said he would bless the world through him, the righteous one, Jesus would come. He alone is righteous. And he would take the justice of God for our evil. And through that act, he would make it possible to be righteous before God. You know, Paul would write about this in Romans chapter 5. He says this, for it is by the one man's disobedience, it's talking about Adam back in Genesis, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, that's referring to Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Do you see that? The, the righteousness of the one covers the wickedness of the all. And here's, first and foremost this morning, the essence of the prayer is, do you, do you know that? Have you experienced that? Are you trusting in the righteousness of the one? Because no one's righteous. And here's the deal. If, if you believe that, if you know that, and that gets us to our last part, because that changes how you pray for a city. Um, lastly, the character of prayer. Pastor Dave Bisgrove um, had this great outline and thoughts on, on this particular passage here. And he talked about it in four ways of how it shapes the people. It enables us to pray for in boldness, humility, love, and hope. Let's just hit each one of those. Uh, boldness. 
Think about this way. One of the things that's so striking about this passage is how Abraham approaches God. Earlier in chapter 18, God reveals to Abraham his plan to go and investigate what's happening in Sodom. And so Abraham hears that God's going to bring judgment on it. And what's interesting is Abraham doesn't just sit back and say, okay. He actually begins to plead with God. Now, just imagine, if you will, if you were able to sit down with someone for lunch that was really well-known, had a lot of authority, had a lot of power, had a lot of sway. Think maybe like, I don't know, Governor Tony Evers. Think Mr. Beast. Think Taylor Swift. Did I hit everybody? I don't know. I'm trying to hit the crew here. And think for a moment if they shared with you their next plan of what they were going to do. In that moment, would you feel for a moment like, oh yeah, let me pipe up for a moment. Let me just give you a couple thoughts on why you may want to do something differently or how about this, because I know your character. I think all of us will understand in order to do that with any of these individuals, there'd have to be a sense in which there was, in which you knew them and you trusted them and, and they knew you. And think about it. Here, Abraham is talking to the judge of the entire world. And he is bold. One of the things Dave Bisgrove points out, he says this, because of the gospel, we do not approach the bench of a judge. We approach a father. Friends, there's something about the gospel that transforms how we pray. You know, um, one of the things that you will know if you've ever met with me, there have been times, and some of you experienced this, where I will get a call from one of my kids. And if it's one call, I won't pick up. But if it's two, sorry, I'm going to ignore you. <laughs> Got to pause the meeting for a moment. Why? Because, because they're my kids. Listen, there is, in the gospel, do you understand, when Jesus takes your punishment and you are righteous, you are adopted into the very family of God, and now you approach God as a father. And that means that you can come with a boldness. But secondly, there's a humility. You know, each time Abraham speaks to God, he is, he's incredibly humble. Uh, in verse 27, he says, Who am I but dust and ashes? There's this tone of humility and reverence throughout the entire thing. And it's this beautiful picture of boldness, yet humility. And one of the things I'll say this about, one of the reasons why some of you might not even dare approach God, or maybe you have in the past and you've stopped, is because maybe you've begun to ask God for something, and he hasn't answered accordingly. And so you're despairing. Or maybe, for example, maybe there's even a sense in which you're angry, because he didn't come through how you wanted him to come through. But notice how with Abraham, there's an incredible amount of humility. He's not demanding that God do this, and yet he comes, and yet he submits his, his, his request to God. And friends, this is one of the beautiful things about the gospel, is that if you know that God is for you, if you know that he's given his son, and even if he doesn't answer accordingly to what you've asked, you understand he's still for you, and he's still with you, and 
somehow. He's still working out his purposes in the world. And so therefore, it's actually the gospel that gives you a humility. But thirdly, there's a love. Uh, it's interesting, if you read Genesis and you think about how um, there's some encounters that, that Abraham has with Sodom, particularly the king. And when he hears about the city, he doesn't say good riddance. Because Sodom hadn't treated him well. And he doesn't even just pray for his nephew Lot to be spared. He prays for the city. He prays for those who he would not agree with. He prays for those who have mistreated him. He prays for those who are doing really awful things. And in the end, the result would be that they might be spared. That's, that's the result of what God says if, if there's ten righteous. And listen, Abraham is not a man who doesn't care about injustice or oppression. Nevertheless, he's marked by compassion and love. This is actually one of the traits you see throughout Scripture of those who know God really, really well. Or, for example, who are God. Think about Jesus. He comes up to Jerusalem, and what does he do? He knows the city is going to reject him and crucify him, and he, he weeps over it. He doesn't condemn it. He weeps over it. Or think, for example, of the Apostle Paul who quite oftentimes was harassed and almost killed multiple times by his own people. And yet he would write in Romans 9 that he would rather be accursed than them. There's something about the gospel, knowing this God of justice and mercy that actually transforms your posture towards the city. Listen, think about it this way. And Bisgrove points this out so wonderfully. If you know the essence of what you believe is that you're a sinner saved by grace, completely by grace, it's sheer grace, there's nothing you did to earn it. And therefore, that means anyone and all are welcome to come in. Then that absolutely has to transform how we view the city. And lastly, hope. Abraham is praying for Sodom. It's a city filled with oppression, cruelty, violence, perverted sexuality, idolatry, pride, greedy consumption. It was a place empty of compassion or care for the needy. In fact, throughout Scripture, Sodom is a prototype of how bad things can get because of sin in the world. And I think most people, most people in Abraham's position would consider this a lost cause. And yet he prays. Listen, it, it doesn't take very long to flip on your social media feed, to turn on the news, and to understand how dark the world is, right? It doesn't take very long. But Abraham 
somehow prays for the city of Sodom. And one of the things Bizgrav notes is that in the gospel, listen, we not only have one who suffers on the cross for us, we have a risen king, one who has defeated everything. Do you understand that the kingdom has come and yet it's not come fully yet? And that means we of all people, even in the midst of whatever you see, have a reason for hope. Not because of the circumstances. Because the tomb is empty. So let me invite the band up as we close here. Um, here's, here's how I want you to think about this in the coming days and weeks. Think about for a moment when Jesus prays, teaches us to pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Which in one way, you know what that's saying? It's saying, Jesus, we want your good rule to come in the very moments of our lives. Like the very moments. That means at your work. It means in your marriage means in your relationships. It means in your neighborhood. It means where do you see potentially injustice and oppression in our city? And this is what Abraham's showing us. Where do you see that? Where do you encounter that? And now pray. Pray with a boldness. Do you understand what you have as a father? Pray with a humility. Do you understand what he's done through his son? Pray Pray with a love, a love. You're a recipient of grace. And pray with a hope because the king is risen. Redeemer City, may we be a people who in light of the gospel pray for our city with boldness and love, humility and hope. Let me pray. Father, would you give us a boldness to approach you in prayer, to believe somehow, some way, we have access to the one who's over all and listens. Would you mark us with a humility to trust you to work out your ways in this world? Would you make us a people who are marked by, on the one hand, a deep hatred of any oppression or injustice, and yet a people marked by compassion and love. Lord, would you form us to be a people who are not marked by despair, who are not shaped by the headlines, but are marked by the news of a resurrected king who is with us and is for us, is returning again. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.